Welcome to UsFest! UsFest is yours, Susie! UsFest is yours, Brian! Our democracy party is dancing toward dignity and equality for everybody! The neoliberal Washington consensus. Democracy. Neoliberalism. Neoliberalism. I fucking don't know. Democracy. Neoliberalism. People, what are Neoliberal elites. Nobody actually knows what it means, but it sounds interesting. This destructive policy of neoliberalism, which has now resulted in a proto-fascist government. I don't know, dude. I don't even know what neo means. Like, that's how much of an education I, I didn't have. So, what is it, Susie Bombchop? What is what? Neoliberalism. Um, I don't know, Brian Bakunin. I am not quite sure. But... Don't you hear it a lot? I hear it, yeah, I hear it, and I just kind of like let it go. I'm like, Ugh. yeah. See, I'm not sure everybody got the debrief on neoliberalism. I mean, it's a very popular term among my friends who, you know, have fancy degrees, you know, professors and scholars, and of course, journalists. You know, the people who study politics and economics, like for a living, but don't work for multinational corporate news organizations. They're endlessly referencing this term, neoliberalism. It seems like people whose job it is to understand how the world works talk about it all the time. Yeah. People who study people, people who study how humans organize society, people who study economics, they use the word a hundred times a day. And on my favorite indie media shows, from The Young Turks to Rising, Noam Chomsky and Cornell West and Nina Turner and Kyle Kalinsky, Naomi Klein, the rock stars of progressive consciousness are all incessantly using neoliberalism in conversations amongst themselves, of course, because they're never or very rarely invited into the mainstream news, which is of course, controlled by corporations. So they're all saying it. Actual progressive revolutionaries who are, of course, all on the left. And of course, by the left, I mean the actual left, not the left that's co-sponsored and co-opted by multinational corporations who own the cable news networks, of course, uh, are talking about neoliberalism every day, multiple times a day on every show that they're invited on. So this first episode of Us Fest is here to do whatever we can to help mainstream these critically important concepts so that people have intellectual self-defense. Because people like our parents and grandparents who are watching the mainstream news, whether it's, you know, all the way to the right, like Fox News or like all the way to the corporate left, you know, what's okay through the corporate filter of progressive thought. This term, neoliberalism, is just not making it through the corporate filter. So mainstream consumers of news and information are kept in the dark on, on this 
extremely relevant and important term that all these thought leaders are using you know, as naturally as our you know parents talk about just what's common to them what are they their diets every, what diets yeah what's on tv or what's on netflix or those that's a much more common conversation than yeah neoliberalism right i've i've started trying to use the word in conversations with family and friends to explain what i thought i remembered neoliberalism meant but whenever i've used the term i get this blank look you know it's that look that's like between like a glazed over look and that kind of shut the fuck up you pretentious prick look you know and you know because i'm an empath i always just pick up on that cue and defer to sharing something less pretentious like i don't know muppet porn pics or something which gets me in trouble on a whole other level yeah deflecting the possible arrogance <laughs> yeah. with some like shitty comedy <laughs> <laughs> yeah so what we're gonna try to do in this us fest is do a little bit of shitty comedy <laughs> and also highbrow deconstruction of terms that turn you know everyday americans off when scholars and progressive academics and people that are actually trying to make the world a better place use to talk about just how deeply fucked we all are <laughs> currently and end up incensing and maybe even offending people who we don't need to be offending or incensing or making you know feel oh that's a big pretentious word from an elite university that only these marxist thinkers use so i guess i'm not invited to that party and i don't want any part of it because my grandma is the only person that ever mentioned socialism and she said that it was akin to satan so i mean i know she's like a crazy bitch um i don't agree with her on anything but i guess i'll take her word for it on socialism because there's like no streamable Netflix version of Marx's Das Kapital and, you know, Noam Chomsky's never given any speeches on the set of Game of Thrones or Stranger Things. So until you can nail down my ADD brain with some killer graphics, you're dead to me. Because if there ain't CGI Dragon Balls in my brain feed every 15 minutes, I lose interest. And oh, by the way, maybe Trump's not that bad, and maybe it is true that Mariah Carey and Madonna have found the fountain of youth in adrenochrome, which is derived from a chromosome in the blood of freshly raped and murdered children in Wuhan, China, that all of celebrity Hollywood and everyone more attractive than me is consuming. And, you know, maybe Trump is here to bring on the apocalypse and bring back white Jesus to whisk me up to heaven where I can finally straddle and ride that statuesque, gimpy, buff boy bot Mike Pence into the puffy clouds of cum. Or something like that. Now, of course, I'm only in the fifth layer of, you know, 
whatever this new D&D QAnon thing is. So unfortunately, this episode of the Us Fest podcast is not going to be quite that epically apotheosis porn. Uh, it's going to be far easier to comprehend and understand than QAnon, but probably not as dragon-esque, all right? But it's so damned important that we're going to try to give you some brain feed that you can consume in private and then never have to admit that you never knew until you heard this, okay? Our goal is to stop baffling with bullshit. We're, we're jumping on the user experience bandwagon by making politics more understandable and digestible and something that people feel comfortable participating in because I know what it is. So it doesn't take a lot of time and effort on their part to understand these concepts, which a lot of real people find off-putting, daunting, and they kind of just, instead of digging deeper into it, will just push themselves away from it and go towards what seems more cool or something. Like, like Trump comes off as cool because he's an asshole and, and easy to understand. He's an easy to understand asshole, although he's hiding behind a bunch of shit. But, but people like that he's so crass because they're not used to it and it speaks their language or a language that they find appealing or funny or something. He's charming in that way. Yes, we cannot let him claim the mantle of cool. Because cool has always basically been a rebellion against injustice. And that aesthetic throughout American history has been owned by the progressive left. There are no QAnon or MAGA hat wearers that are headlining or that were headlining the massive music festivals all over the world before COVID struck. Right? It's just the opposite. Everyone obviously hates Trump and... Most every artist, musician, intellectual <laughs> of any clout <laughs> who endorsed anyone this last primary season endorsed Bernie, obviously. The Not Me Us Fest podcast is here to continue that party that was partying for Bernie for that political revolution that's going to create a better, more utopian America. Music, celebration, and fun is what we do best. We, Democracy Party people. We, the people who support the most progressive, insurgent, underdog politicians. I'm talking the Squad, the Justice Democrats, Democratic Socialists of America, and the People's Party movement, now being manifested by Dr. Cornell West and Nina Turner. Usfest is here to harness our righteous indignation expressed through art, music, dance, and John Lewis's good trouble, and leverage that progressive revolutionary willpower to realize this democracy that we haven't seen our whole lives, <laughs> that we're demanding, and that Democrats talk a lot about, but don't do a whole lot to move us closer toward. And all we have to do is put together our combined forces of progressive brilliance and mastery into a well-oiled machine that is as alluring, epic, and magic as a combination between the most epic Netflix series in the world 
and the best music festivals around the world, and we will win. We really will win. Because if there's anything to be learned from this RNC, DNC spectacle that we've all been witness to in one way or another over the past two weeks, um, it's that Cardi B's WAP video is so obviously superior <laughs> to either convention. And the great news is that Cardi B is an ally for the utopian vision of a more verdant, just, democratic future for America. So again, just to be clear, the lesson from the RNC and the DNC is that compared to Cardi B and the WAP, RNC and the DNC suck D. Okay? The future that Usfest is manifesting, you're experiencing that manifestation right now as we plumb to the depths of meaning of extremely important terminology that the most righteously indignant smartest people in the world um, that, you know, I realized, again, not a whole lot of people who I know who are brilliant, talented, gifted in their own rights, um, but don't, you know, crawl up the ass of the political world every day, know or care to know. So yeah, the mission of this very first Usfest is... To get you to care to know about neoliberalism, which is the economic reality we've been living in since 1980 and still are, about the Keynesianism that came before it, which was the economic reality from 1945 until 1980 when neoliberalism replaced it, so that we can begin to reimagine an America whose economy is rooted in humanity rather than corporate greed. Because here on the Usfest playground, we take politics as seriously as we take celebration and dance and consciousness expansion, okay? Because remember, we've got to party as hard as we protest. Fight for your right to party, party for your right to fight. Yes? That's some Usfestisms right there for all the democracy party people. Let's do this. We've assembled a dynamite real people panel to get their pulse on neoliberalism. What started as the cum stain of Milton Friedman, but has become the bipartisan shit stain we can't ever seem to wash out of our economic panties, America. Neoliberalism. It's very rarely slipped into conversations that you see on pundit corporate news TV, unlike when on Friday, August 21st, Nina Turner being interviewed by Anderson Cooper, slipped the word in through the filter. Understanding very clearly that we got two dragons we got to slay. We got to slay the dragon of neo-fascism and slay the dragon of neoliberalism. And the progressive movement is here for it. In a term, I appreciate your time. Oh, yes, we appreciate your time. You said the verboten word. Get the fuck off the air. Don't let anyone know about neoliberalism. And then, of course, they had to go to commercial before we even get a chance to understand what it is she's actually saying to us so we're here to explain and to set the record straight on what is neoliberalism let's get our real people panels pulse on neoliberalism great idea Susie. so first up millennial katie from virginia beach do you have a definition of neoliberalism 
than neoliberalism. I don't know that I have a really good definition for that. Well, hopefully you will by the end of this Usfest. How about our other millennial, Seth, from Hermosa Beach? Neoliberalism. Nobody actually knows what it means, but it sounds interesting and like seems like it has a negative connotation. Okay, let's hear from our resident boomer, Al, from Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. You want to take a stab at neoliberalism? I really don't get that word. <laughs> I don't really know what that means, really. Neoliberalism. All righty then, let's get Gen X Leslie from Savannah, Georgia. Neoliberalism, what you got? A new form of liberalism, basically. Literally liberalism, just new. Got it. And lastly, from Atlanta, Georgia, our Gen Z panelist, Sylvia. Neoliberalism. I fucking don't know. I don't know, dude. I don't even know what neo means. Like, that's how much of an education I, I didn't have. Neo, like before or something. I don't fucking know what the fuck neo means. And then liberalism, liberal arts, like, yeah, so neo. Neo. No. Thanks, Boomer Al. So it's new, new liberal things, new positive for the people, happy liberal rights, like for, for all the people or some shit. New stuff, new I don't fucking know, dude. I don't know. Okay, so it's clear. Real people are not as familiar with the term neoliberalism and all that it portends as many of my favorite leftist intellectuals assume people are. (laughs) Because as Noam Chomsky was talking about in this speech I found from like 25 years ago, there's something about the word neoliberalism that's kind of misleading. The term neoliberalism... Uh, suggests uh, a system of principles that is in the first place new uh, and in the second place based on classical liberal ideas. So when it comes to the doctrines of neoliberalism, is it new? Is it liberal? Uh, The operative doctrines are not at all new and they are very remote, in my opinion, from the leading ideas that animated the classical liberal tradition Uh, since the Enlightenment. Okay, so by now, are most real people who don't prefer twisting their brain into unnecessary pretzels following here? Uh, The doctrines of neoliberalism, which literally translates as new liberalism, are neither new nor liberal. (laughs) Okay. So, Susie, can we get a definition of neoliberalism? Okay, so here's the definition. It's generally associated with the policies of economic liberalization. Okay, stop right there. So it's uh, about economic liberalism rather than human liberalism. Okay, continue. Neoliberalism is? Policies of economic liberalization, including privatization, deregulation, globalization, free trade, austerity, and reductions in government spending— in order to increase the role of the private sector in the economy and society. So clearly that sounds more like the opposite of liberalism. This isn't liberalism. This is like libertarianism. Add the word libertarian to the term neoliberalism. So that instead of a seven-syllable word, it can become an 11-syllable word. So much fun to say libertarian neoliberalism and it'll be fun for kids because it's like a tongue twister how many times can you say it in a row right 
because I'm sure real people have a far better understanding of libertarianism. Right, real people panel? Oh, is the uh, is the real people panel still with us? I believe they are. Uh, libertarian, Gen X Leslie. Okay, libertarianism. Um, to me, that is, uh, it, I feel like the, a libertarian sides a little bit more uh, financially, fiscally with conservatives. Yeah, and what happens to government in a libertarian's wet dream? I guess all government agencies would be private, privatized if they could have their way, right? If that's your sense of libertarianism, then that's all that matters on Us Fest right now. As for you, Millennial Katie, libertarianism. I feel like libertarians love the idea of like the Republican freedom from the government and like autonomy to make decisions. The market will kind of balance itself. It's like this, like in a perfect vacuum, humans would be good. So let's pretend that humans are and we want less government. Less government, indeed. How about our resident Zoomer, Sylvia? Libertarianism. I know plenty of libertarians. I said libertarian. <laughs> it's not that funny. <laughs> Boomer, Al, what's your sense of libertarianism? Selfishness of the capitalistic system with no controls. Um, if, you're, if you have a lot of money, if you have a lot of possessions, you're great. But if you don't, you're not. But at us, Vest, we're all great. Sylvia, Gen Z. Is your mouth working better now? This libertarian guy I know used to get upset with my boyfriend about not, you know, being proactive, trying to like start a business and stuff. But I mean, he came from money and that's the only reason why that libertarian dude was even able to create his own company. You know, most people can't just get money out of nowhere, you know, so it's quite impossible for the libertarian movement or ideology to be successful uh, amongst all Americans. Somebody's sobering up and getting a little more poignant the deeper we get into this us fest. And what say you, Millennial Seth, on libertarianism? I mean, it's, it's basically take, take the power out of the government and, and try to make it so that the free market dictates everything. Yeah, and perfect. the limitation on that is that you need, you need to have some form of regulatory body which is the government in some way, or else you don't have a country, right? Like you just have a, a coalition of businesses, uh, which are not going to regulate themselves. Then you just literally have a power games type of situation where like the largest and most influential companies are going to rule and they're going to dictate what happens, you know? Okay, so it seems like real people know what libertarianism is. Indeed, Susie, it does seem that they all know what libertarianism is. I mean, they're all agreed on it. Um, I guess a bigger question is, do they or do any of us really well, know what libertarianism it, it, it's is? It's a more complicated, convoluted word and a, and a history. So it started as a far-left socialism close to anarchism right like my namesake the original mikhail bakunin from the mid-19th century one of the founders of anarchist philosophy was himself a libertarian 
But as you've suggested, that word libertarian, which started as a progressive leftist philosophy, which was against the state, yes, but also, and this is very importantly, equally against private power. OG libertarians were all about abolition of the state, indeed, but also equally important to the mission of the OG libertarians was abolition of capitalism. So then along come capitalists in the United States in the mid-50s, and they're like, wow, we really like this libertarian idea of abolishing the state. <laughs> oh, but we're capitalists. <laughs> so maybe we could just co-opt this word, libertarian, make it all about destroying the state, <laughs> and leave out that other well, mission of libertarianism, which was destroying capitalism as well. So for all these reasons, the entry of libertarianism in Wikipedia is, of course, split between the original left libertarian and the new American right libertarian philosophy. Um, so Susie, uh, regarding that right libertarianism, what, what, what did you find there? Right libertarians typically see the state as a principal threat to liberty. This anti-statism differs from anarchist doctrines in that it is based on uncompromising individualism that places little or no emphasis upon human sociability or cooperation. Which again, our Real People panel understands quite clearly and universally as what every American understands as libertarianism. So... Economically. Uh, Susie, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> You got that in my eye. Can you read this with a little less spittle droplets? Right, libertarians, view any attempt to dictate the market process as counterproductive, emphasizing the mechanisms and the self-regulating nature of the market while portraying government intervention and attempts to redistribute wealth as invariably unnecessary and counterproductive. Is this a new Susie Bombchop character? It was very proper, thank you. And boom, there it is. Right libertarianism is the only libertarianism that anybody recognizes in the United States. There is no left libertarians in the United States. It's just, it doesn't happen because the captains of industry so effectively co-opted the term that that's what every one of our panelists agreed was their fundamental understanding of the word libertarianism. So, the North Star of the libertarian is Ayn Rand novels, right? There's not even a hint of children existing in Ayn Rand's perfect societies. <laughs> there doesn't seem to be any sex scenes without some form of rape happening, and there's no indigent, there's no disabled, and there seems to be no joy and no humor and no yeah, fun, which is why that. I can't I can't really get through a whole Ayn Rand novel. Yeah. There's there's no like poetic language. There's no again, there's nothing funny happening. There's there's no fun it's happening. It's just rich people. It's just rich people dominating each other. Yeah. It's I, like shitty. I don't want to live in that reality. No shit. Who would want to live in that reality, Susie? <laughs> mm, but here we are. 
<laughs> One of Ayn Rand's best fuck buddies, Alan Greenspan, was the chair of the Federal Reserve <laughs> from 19, what, 87 to 2006, <laughs> right? <laughs> that motherfucker dictated economic policies that were in line with Ayn Rand's novels, which is why every day we descend further and further into what feels like an Ayn Rand dystopian hellscape novel. <laughs> this libertarian neoliberalism is the economic reality we've all been living under for 40 years. It's the bipartisan consensus. It's remained the only economic model America knows, no matter who becomes president, no matter who wins Congress. It's become our North Star that can never be criticized, which is why the only time you hear the word neoliberalism in a mainstream corporate media setting, <laughs> it always cues the commercials and, sorry, we're out of time. It has so dominated and devastated our political discourse and economic thinking that it's just we're unable to think outside of it. And should it ever be brought up, it has to be tamped down almost as immediately for the past 40 years. So again, to be clear, neoliberalism as economic reality transpired before I got my first pubic hair. Okay, it all started in 1980 up till now. We are living through the pandemic in the era of neoliberalism. So what came before libertarian neoliberalism? That's a very irrelevant and appropriate question to ask, Susie. Um, and I've only discovered the answer to that uh, pursuing the content of this very us fest podcast and the answer to that question is keynesianism keynesianism yeah libertarian neoliberalism displaced and replaced embedded liberalism also called keynesianism now uh should we get the real people panel's pulse on keynesianism yeah let's do it <laughs> okay so let's start with our millennial male seth you know Keynesianism, yes? No, who uses that? I've yeah. never heard that word before. Okay. Let's go to Big Boomer Al. Keynesian economics. No, I never heard of that. Gen X Leslie, do you know of John Maynard Keynes? Keynesianism. I, I have no idea what that is. Am I allowed to uh, ask for help? No. So Gen Z, Sylvia, your turn. Keynesianism. No, I don't know what the fuck that means. Like, old people that use canes. That's you get an A for effort. What about our millennial Katie? Keynesianism? Yeah. C-A-I? No, no. It's K-E-Y-N-E-S. As in John Maynard Keynes. Okay. Shit. I should probably know that. And <laughs> um, my definition is uh, <laughs> Google. <laughs> Okay, so I feel a lot less stupid now because I didn't know I didn't know what Keynesianism was. <laughs> so now I feel at home with all these people that don't know. Yes, Keynesianism, Susie, was of course what economists attribute to what they call the golden age of capitalism. Why was it golden? 
Well, because it showered prosperity down on the downtrodden, those that had been the victims of the Great Depression, which happened as a result of the top 1% pissing away their speculative gains. So the golden age of capitalism was golden because it created this ever-growing puddle of middle-class happiness. Because it rooted economics in humanity rather than profit for unaccountable private tyrannies called corporations. Which is why it's the mission of this us-fest to make Keynes sexy again, goddammit! He's a trailblazing bisexual transgressor! From Transylvania, almost. He's from the UK, but close enough. Before Keynes devised this economic model that put humanity over profit, global free market capitalism before was just as it is today. <laughs> Unregulated and speculative profit for the permanent class of villains was supreme. And human need was totally irrelevant. Just as libertarian neoliberal Reaganomics is today. See, Keynes's economic policies weren't implemented until FDR, whose election in 1933 coincided with American anger at President Hoover, who was a Republican doing the bidding of the permanent villain class, the top 1%, of course, didn't give a shit that millions of people were going homeless and starving, which is why during the Great Depression, real people were fucked because there was no safety net. Keynes was the economist who created the safety net. There was no such thing before him. Keynes is proudly, I just found out, out of the closet bisexual British guy? Yes, John Maynard Keynes was bisexual a half century before the Stonewall riots. Before Stonewall, right? The gay rights thing wasn't a thing. I, you know, well, in this country. In this country. I mean, he was British, but I don't yeah. know if it was... I mean, that was Victorian British. Anyway, I don't know anything oh about God. that. There's so much we don't know. But then there's Oscar Wilde. Well, he was gay, too, but yeah. 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 He was 1854 to 1900. Oh. Okay. He was criminally convicted for gross indecency for consensual homosexual acts. Oh, wow. Imprisoned and died early. In jail. I remember that. Yeah, we did just... At 46. Well, yeah, so 46, again... 46, he died at 46. He died at 46 years old, right? And that was, you know, I guess like um, half century before John Maynard Keynes was getting busy with boys. Or men. Hopefully men. I think it was mostly men, not just... All right. He seems like a good guy. I mean, yeah, he was a proper British guy that liked the dick, which is, you know, just sh still shocks me that... He was not hiding that. He was not hiding that. And and he was so successful. I mean, Amazing. clearly he was thinking out of the box of like what was normal. Mm -hmm. And uh, sure enough, in keeping with the mission of most LGBTQ people today, he gives capitalism the queer eye makeover it desperately needed to stay relevant, makes it take a good hard fucking look at itself. Does that internal work that it needed to do, right? 
FDR implements his economic models and poof, capitalism is saved. And how did he save it? With a lot of glitter. The, you could call it glitter, the glitter of economic glitter. regulation. Magic and glitter, fashion and fame. Jim, with a high-heeled glitter boot, he poked a giant hole in capitalism. That glory hole. He filled that glory hole with human need, like a nice big throbbing cock of decency. So thank you, John Maynard Keynes. Uh, let us all remember your name now, okay? Because we need to get back to his very strong, firm, erect regulations shoved in that glory hole of free market capitalism. Housing and education were cheap. Labor unions were strengthened. Can you imagine that? Labor unions strengthened? Under any form of capitalism, it shows you just how far we've fallen from that golden age of capitalism, no? So according to the Labor Statistics Bureau, uh, Susie, can you pull up uh, what the percentage was of the workforce that was unionized in uh, 1955, I think when, when it peaked after a few decades of Keynesianism? In 1955, 35% of all workers were in unions. Right. And what is it now? The latest stats that I could find was 2013 when 11% of all workers were in unions. That's down from 20% in 1983. So for the US Fest members who don't quite get how union membership might be a good thing, should we mention why they're good? <laughs> better to have union support than not well it's it's with unions you have you have some support the workers have support so if something happens with a employer or your manager or you know whoever's up above you or anybody actually in the company or or the school or whatever you work for you would have a union representative to go to and somebody be in the room with you when you're talking to your boss to make sure that not, they're not doing anything illegal. So it allows workers to gather and, and communicate their problems with each other without risk of being fired. It empowers workers to demand better training and better pay. People go on strike. I mean, people like in unions are about allowed to go on strike if they're not getting paid enough money or they don't have enough training to do their job. Right. And, and now, <laughs> like the last few times I've gotten fired, there's never a union representative in the room because, of course, unions have been gutted. And instead, there's always that professionally friendly HR professional. And they don't seem yeah. to do a whole lot to back the worker. Yeah. I don't know what their purpose is other than onboard people or the opposite. Firing them. Fire them. <laughs> right. Or communicate with them with employees about how they're going to be fired yeah. yeah so not to dive too much further down this rabbit hole of the value and importance of keeping unions active in societies to defend the workers against the arbitrary injustice of management but it was the economic policy of Keynes to empower unions 
throughout both the private and public sector. So again, with Keynes' humanity-embedded capitalism, workers had a voice, workers had power, which was, of course, anathema to America's permanent villain class of the top 1%. So, of course, the libertarian neoliberal economic policies of Milton Friedman, implemented by Ronald Reagan, eliminated that terrible threat. And ever since then, we've seen income inequality spike and workers have no power and management and CEOs making 400 times what their lowest paid workers made, which of course is why we're, again, living in an Ayn Rand novel, a dystopian hellscape. <laughs> so, which again is why we're doing this Us Fest to remind people that there's another way <laughs> and, and that Keynes uh, led that way. Um, so we all need to rediscover him. Because yeah, unions had power and social mobility was a attainable to everybody tax rates were huge for america's permanent class of villains somewhere around 90 percent of their income was taxed and thrown back into economy that actually benefited human need improved the lives of everybody that the great depression fucked how did he get this passed it's <laughs> a great question i mean he was in the UK, and it was adopted by us and all the governments of Europe after we defeated fascism. So this is how all of these governments, to borrow the Biden campaign's motto, built back better. So is it not obvious that maybe we should revisit this stuff and do this again? <laughs> hey, Joe! Let's build back better with canes in the driver's seat. I mean, we're literally fighting fascism again. Domestic fascism. <laughs> Let's borrow a script from the greatest generation and return the economy to serving human need instead of corporate greed, just as FDR did when he implemented Keynesian economics to both get us out of the Great Depression and to defeat the fascism of his time. <laughs> John Maynard Keynes not only proved that he could be fabulous in a time when homophobia was rampant, <laughs> but also that the government could spend on public works and welfare programs and not only benefit the overwhelming majority of the citizens of those countries, where his policies were implemented, but also build the economy. <laughs> World real GDP growth averaged 4.8% and never dipped below 3% between 1951 and 1973. Not a single recession in that 22-year period. Income inequality was the lowest it had ever been. So things were stable. Very. <laughs> And see how things changed, right? So Keynesian economics, you know, kind of debuted as this way economies were organized around the world after you know, we made a rubble out of Germany and rid the world of the evil of fascism. And people realized that the market had to be embedded in human need rather than corporate greed. See? So Keynesianism emerged 
as an economic fix to the unregulated free market madness of capitalism that was standard, you know, the status quo prior to Keynes's magic fix. Because the nightmare of fascism woke Europe up to the realization that unregulated free market capitalism is a perfect breeding ground for fascism. Now, since World War II didn't turn any of our cities into rubble, Americans weren't nearly as hungry for a new system that might ensure fascism never happens again. And it's no secret that we had our own fascism. The bitter sons of Confederates who implemented Jim Crow. And because we've never really had to publicly atone for the sins of Confederacy and slavery, you know, like Europe had to do after it crawled itself out of the rubble that was created because of its far-right fascism, <laughs> we are where we are now. Mm? But at least in theory for a time, even we, way back when killing fascists was cool in America, joined Europe in their pursuit of this new economic fix. Even if these new economic ideas were coming out of the mind of this very out-of-the-box, out-of-the-closet, proudly bisexual British dude in the 1940s, three decades before anyone would even acknowledge that there was a closet in America, right? Keynes was a trailblazer on so many levels. It's just astonishing. So I think we need to breathe some divine life back into the ghost of John Maynard Keynes and get him back here. Because it was his economic model, his queer eye makeover of capitalism that was embraced and adopted by the West after World War II, which created the middle class and improved quality of life for more people than at any time in human history. Normal before Keynes was what we've come to accept as normal today. Swelling ranks of impoverished people and a top 1% whose wealth grows more and more obscene by the second. And when that's normal... When unregulated free market fundamentalism is the unquestioned status quo of both parties for decades, just as it was from you know the 1850s and 60s right up through the 1920s, it creates these perfect conditions for fascist strongmen to arise. And if we think Trump's a nightmare, who's like an incompetent wannabe tin pot dictator from the Banana Republic. Wait until we get what I guarantee is being cooked up right now in the back rooms of Fox News. The Tucker Carlson, Candace Owens 2024 ticket. Or the Nikki Haley, Josh Hawley ticket. Haley Hawley 2024. <laughs> Can't you see it now? <laughs> Fuck. So instead of losing to that kind of nightmare scenario, imagine instead how overwhelmingly dominant we could win were we to harness and leverage the power of our collective righteous indignation and political will. 
of every artist around the world who supports LGBTQ rights, women's rights, environmental justice, Black Lives Matter, Medicare for All, Green New Deal, tuition-free college, you know, an updated version of FDR's second Bill of Rights that he never got to see realized because he died before he could pass it. <laughs> Just consider our strengths, where we dominate. We have the entire history of music, film, and culture on our side. They have Fox News. Envision the Democratic Party becoming the democracy party that finds its roots in LBJ, in JFK, in MLK, and in FDR. The roots of the Democratic Party that embraced its working class base, that made the Civil Rights Act law. We were the party that fought the lie of trickle-down economics, Reaganomics, libertarian neoliberalism. It's all the same thing. That was us before Clinton and Obama refused to acknowledge that there was a problem called neoliberalism. <laughs> instead of fighting it, joined it, strengthened it, continued it, we got to stop that shit. Let neoliberals go back into the fold of the Republican Party from whence they came and join their neoconservatives and fight it out amongst themselves. We're the party of Keynesian economics, embedded liberalism, social democracy, democratic socialism. That's us. Okay? That's the future of what was the Democratic Party and is now the Democracy Party. God damn it! Ugh. One of my favorite current authors right now, Anand Girdardas, was on Andrew Yang's show recently and addressed an issue that frustrates him as much as it frustrates me about the seemingly incongruent disconnect. <laughs> from our vision and our capacity to storytell and to help others see and share our vision versus our inability to do that. <laughs> I mean, we, the Democracy Party people, we throw the best parties, we have the best raves, the best light shows, the best headlining Coachella concerts, the biggest Burning Man art installments. We put together the award-winning films and Netflix series. And yet, uh, uh, just roll that Anand clip, please, Susie. I thought of this so often during the campaign. You had people advocating for Medicare for All and the progressive wing of the party. And it occurred to me, as far as I know, no one bothered to make a video illustrating what healthcare would look like, feel like, be like, how it would work to get cared for in the new world they proposed. So you're proposing Medicare for all. I think it's the right idea. I also think the people who are scared of it are not crazy or wrong. It is a pretty big shift, but it's the right thing. But when you are taking insurance away from lots of people and replacing it and doing this massive societal transformation of, you know, a massive sliver of the economy, helping people visualize it is something 
that is so obvious to me, right? So why wasn't there a video from Bernie or Elizabeth, anybody else, where you see someone getting sick, scene one, scene two, they go to a clinic, right? They get great care, people are nice. Scene three, they're walking out. They ask, you know, it's new, it's month month two of the implementation. They ask where they should pay or their insurance card, and they're like, no, courtesy of the United States of America. Like, thank you so much for being a citizen. You know, whatever, whatever right? That, that would have just maybe helped some people. Just, and this is the kind of thing I'm talking about where not having an understanding of where that waitress or truck driver is psychologically what their fears are, what their anxiety, how they see, not even having that information available because you're allowed, you've allowed yourself to become the Harvard party over time is so profoundly dangerous and is so wasteful, particularly when you have policies, the whole litany of policies that would make all those people you're talking about all their lives better. Cardi B's WAP video has already proven that we have all the mastery to paint the picture for America of the glorious future we could have. The purpose of the Democracy Party movement is to, at the very least, begin connecting people like the brilliant author you just heard, Anand, with Cardi B. Cardi B loves Bernie. Cardi B's for Medicare for All. Ariana Grande made $8 million for playing two shows at Coachella in 2019. She took a selfie with Bernie backstage. She loves Bernie. She's down for the movement. Those two smash hit makers alone could have thrown just a little bit of chump change into the charity bucket for Bernie Sanders for president campaign. And we could be talking about Bernie Sanders winning the presidency right now. Had they just tucked a little bit of that money they made off the greed machine into what they believe in, and they could have changed the course of history. So yes, the purpose of Usfest is to get these movers and shakers together in unconventional ways to start recognizing each other, strategizing, coordinating, unionizing across all the different domains that are necessary to create the content with which to plant the seeds of the patriotic, revolutionary, progressive vision to change red to purple, to change purple to blue, and to change blue to that magical rainbow where we find that pot of gold on the other side and the ghost of John Maynard Keynes gives us the best government handout, hand job we've ever had. We, Democracy Party people, are the OG Americans, okay? We're Revolutionary Party people, guys and gals and gender fluid beauties, okay? We've been winning the war of the only cool that can come out of righteous indignation and shameless joy and celebration ever since, I don't know, Prince, David Bowie, The Beatles, The Stones, Elvis, Billie Holiday, Cab Calloway, Bessie Smith, Louis Armstrong? We've been at this whole rebellion against injustice, cool thing, for a century. We're really good at it now. <laughs> so it's time to start winning political power. Usfest is here to put the people with the talent in the positions of power.
We got all of culture with us. Everybody that makes movies, except for Clint Eastwood. Everybody that makes music, except for Kanye West and Kid Rock. Right? It's time for the artists to unite, to do everything we can to rout out the last vestiges of that traitorous Confederate party that starts with an R, but also to show all those neoliberal corporate Democrats to the door and put our love, heart, and passion behind the insurgent revolutionary rebels People like AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Jamal Bowman, Cori Bush, Alex Morse. Yes, the real people that all the really evil people hate. <laughs> we need them in government. And if we harness and leverage the willpower of the American artist community, or hell, the global artist community, <laughs> if we can make us-fest democracy parties happen all over the country, we can do this. As soon as festivals are possible again, of course. Because we all know it's time to slay those two dragons Nina Turner so eloquently told Anderson Cooper must be slain once we elect Joe Biden president of the United States. Obviously the dragon of neo-fascism, but far less obviously the dragon of neo-liberalism. Let's make the Democratic Party the Democracy Party. And let's make Keynes sexy again. Tell your friends about how our beautiful, bisexual, transgressive brother, the Holy Ghost that is now John Maynard Keynes, is restoring that order and decency back into our economy, embedding that liberalism lasciviously. Bye-bye, neoliberalism. Bye-bye, confederacy. Bye-bye, fascism. Hello, John Maynard Keynes. Hello, Nina Turner. Hello, somebody. Thank you for joining me, Brian Bakunin, and my bomb-chopping co-host, Susie Bombchop, on this, the first ever Us Fest podcast. Okay, thanks so much to our Real People panel, Boomer Al from Ben Salem, PA, Millennial Katie from Virginia Beach, Millennial Seth from Hermosa Beach, California. Gen X Leslie from Savannah, Georgia, and Gen Z Sylvia from Atlanta. Together, let's keep transforming America from the neoliberal dystopia that it is to the democratic socialist utopia we're turning it into, motherfuckers. Mm -hmm.